All right. The message tonight, we're continuing in our series that we're doing in the book of James called Be Mature. All of the material that we are teaching on is not only from the book of James, but from that book written by Warren Wiersbe, uh, Be Mature. And we are just um, so thrilled about the the material that we've been studying. And tonight we're going to teach a lesson called False Faith. And it's from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. You know, faith is a key doctrine in Christianity, and we can learn a lot about faith, and we need to learn a lot about faith, because sinners are saved by grace through faith. Christians must walk by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and whatever we do, it must be done in faith, or it is sin. So you can see how very important faith is. Someone has said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. Think about that. Obeying in spite of consequence. Are you willing to obey God no matter what the consequences are? I've heard someone say, just do the right thing and leave the consequences to God. Well, what kind of faith really saves a person? That's really the question that we're going to answer through tonight's teaching. What kind of faith really saves a person? Well, the Bible talks about a few kinds of faith, especially from this passage, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So let's just dive right in, and here's the first kind of faith. It's dead faith. What is dead faith? Well, let's read from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Here's what the Bible says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Well, I pretty much feel the Bible is very clear and is not mincing words in this passage about what true faith is and what dead faith is. See, where there is true faith, you will also find the counterfeit, won't we? That's true about many things. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Meditate on those words of Jesus Christ. People with a dead faith substitute words for deeds. And James gives a simple illustration of this in these verses. We just read about it. A person walks in. They have no clothes, no food. And what do we do? We offer maybe a trite prayer. Maybe say, oh, well... God will take care of you, go away, and I hope you're well-fed and well-clothed. That is dead 
faith. As believers, we have the obligation of helping people in need no matter who they are. This is something that God has been impressing inside of me even more lately than at any other time in my life. And I pray that God would speak to you too by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to reread that statement. As believers, we have the obligation of helping people in need no matter who they are. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Man, when I hear this verse, I immediately think of a prayer request. God, give me the opportunity. Lord, show me when the opportunities arise. Because, Lord, if there's an opportunity to do good to someone else, I want to demonstrate my faith by doing so. I want to be Christ-like by doing good. Lord, give me the opportunity. And how many of you out there would agree with me that when you ask God for opportunities, God gives you opportunities? He takes the willing vessel. He will provide the opportunity. So all we need to do is ask. Matthew chapter 25 verse 40 says this, And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Listen how God feels about the way we do good things for other people. He, he feels that it's as if we did it to him. As if we did it to him. In other words, he receives it that way. He sees the love in our heart. He sees the demonstration of our true faith. And he says, it's like you did it to me. In other words, I will reward you. I, I will show you more and more in your life and provide for you. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 to 18 says this. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. You see how the Bible speaks about this issue. Our faith must be translated into actions. It cannot be cheap talk. Our love has to be real. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible? And you remember the characters that Jesus talked about there, right? You had the priest, you had the Levite, and then you had the Samaritan, all right? And he's telling the story to the Jews who would understand the Samaritan. Maybe he's the villain in the story, but Jesus kind of flips it on his head. And he talks about a man who's dying on the side of a road, and he really needs help. But, oh man, here's the shocker. The priest and the Levite, they walk right by the man, and they they do not offer help, but it is the Samaritan that offers the help to the dying man. And Jesus wanted to teach them who really was a good neighbor, which neighbor of these three, who was really the neighbor of the three, who really loved this fellow man. Each of them, the priest and the Levi, think about this, they would have defended their faith to the end. If you had asked the priest or asked the Levi about their faith in God, they would have rattled off why they believe in God and that he exists. They would have defended their faith. If you questioned their faith, they would say, no, this is what I know. This is who God is. They would have gave you a, a biblical lesson. They would have defended it. But neither of them demonstrated their faith in loving works. What God is after is not that we can just defend our faith, 
but God is after our demonstration of faith. That is love. Some might be surprised, but it was the great theologian John Calvin who wrote these words. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. It can't just be faith. It has to be faith in action. Warren Wiersbe, who we're studying, explains in his commentary this. The person with dead faith has only an intellectual experience. In his mind, he knows the doctrine of salvation, but he has never submitted himself to God and trusted Christ for salvation. He knows the right words, but he does not back up his words with his works. You see, if you have faith in Christ, it brings life. Life. And life is not just about what we know. It's not just the intellect. Life in us translates into action. And no one can invite the living God, Jesus Christ, to live inside of them and not be changed. I want you to think about that. He is the living God. We aren't deists. Deists believe there is a God who created, but then he's so far out, and he did his thing, and then he's letting his creation do its own thing, but you can't talk to him, you can't touch him, he's not interacting with your life. That's what deism is. But we are theists. We believe that God is active. God is involved in our life. God is real. God is alive. And when you invite a living God into your heart, it it changes your life forever. You become a new creation. You become a whole new person. You see, if anyone could say that we can invite the living God in and not be changed, it would be like foolishness. It would be like saying that a person could grab a hold of a one-amp current of electricity and expect to remain the same or even expect to be able to let go. Listen, folks, if you grabbed a one-amp current of electricity, a wire, you wouldn't be able to let go because that one amp would cause your muscles to go into such spasm that you would not be able to let go of the wire. That's how powerful. And then it would cook you. It would fry you. God is living, and he will change your life if he comes inside of you. He is more powerful than any live wire. He's more than a one-amp current, folks. Listen, Jesus is powerful. So let's not have dead faith, which is only an intellectual faith. The second kind of faith the Bible talks about is demonic faith. Hmm, this sounds interesting. Demonic faith? Well, let's read James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. The Bible says this. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can, you show, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, or that God is one. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. So, this is kind of interesting. I don't know if you ever asked yourself this question before, but what do demons believe in? I mean, what do they really believe in? Well, we know from the Scriptures that demons believe in the existence of God, and they also believe in the power of God. 
Demons believe in the deity of Christ, that Jesus was fully God. Even though he was fully man, he was also fully God. He is eternally existent. He was there in the beginning, and he is there in the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the creator, all right? So we know that the demons also believe that in the deity of Christ. Demons believe in a place of punishment and torment. Oh, yes, they believe in that. Demons also believe that Jesus Christ is the final judge. He is the judge. You see, the man with dead faith was touched only by his intellect, but the demons are touched also in their emotion. Did you see the scripture? The demons believe and they what? They tremble. In other words, these demons have an emotion. These demons have a reaction at the living God, and it is to tremble. They are afraid. You see, true saving faith involves something more than just our intellect and our emotion. It involves a changed life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. Don't you love that? Come on, someone out there say, I am God's masterpiece. Say it. I am God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Did you catch that? Why did he create you new? Why did he make you new so that you can do the good things that he planned for you long ago? He makes you new to give you the power, to give you the ability to fulfill your destiny. Being a Christian involves trusting Christ and living for Christ. You receive the life, and then you reveal the life. You receive the life, Jesus, and then you reveal the life, Jesus, through your actions. You see, when God comes in and changes you, some people, they didn't know what Jesus was like. They didn't know anything about Jesus. But guess what? You are now the living vessel with the living God inside of you. And when you go out into this world, to your workplace, to the playgrounds, to the areas of this world, to the grocery stores and places of business, you go out as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You go out and people see your action. They see the spirit inside of you, the living God inside of you. Now they begin to see Jesus. You reveal the life of Christ through your life. Remember, dead faith is based on intellect alone. Demonic faith is based on intellect and emotion. But then there is dynamic faith. Let's talk about that. And it's found in James chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. How foolish, James says. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions, they worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. 
Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath or without spirit, so also faith is dead without good works. Is James making himself clear? I believe he is. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he wrote down these words, being made very clear to us that faith without works is dead. Dynamic faith is real, powerful, and it results in a changed life. Let's talk about dynamic faith for a second. First, it is based on the Word of God. We receive the Word, and this leads to our spiritual rebirth. James chapter 1, verse 18, earlier on, he said this, He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true Word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. All right, we got another one to say. We earlier said we are his masterpiece. Now you got to say, I am God's prized possession. Come on, someone say that. I am God's prized possession. Amen. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from what? Hearing. That is, hearing what? The good news about Christ. That's how faith comes when you hear the good news of Jesus. Say, the good news is, of course, the message of the Scriptures, which we call the Word of God. So when you hear the Word of God, it reveals Jesus Christ. You hear the good news of Jesus. And, and you know what? Here's something cool. Even the Old Testament reveals Jesus even before Calvary, Jesus is revealed. If you just pay attention and dive a little deeper and look at the stories of the Old Testament, they all point to Messiah. They point to Jesus. And you know what? You'll begin to see Jesus in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. You'll be able to see Jesus through the stories of Joseph. You'll be able to see it in all of these patriarchs of the faith. You'll see Jesus in Joshua as he conquers Canaan. It's amazing what you begin to see in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, we see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we get the story of the apostles, the beginning of the early church, the, the letters written by the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest preachers of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is revealed. It is good news. And when we read this good news, we begin to know God. We begin, he, it's like he plants a seed in us. And we begin, maybe at the beginning, we wrestle with those scriptures. But I want to challenge anybody watching this, maybe you don't have faith in Christ yet. But you are watching this, and I want to challenge you to pick up a Bible. You can find a Bible at a goodwill. You could stop by a church to give you a Bible. You could find a Christian friend of yours that you've been ignoring for a long time and didn't want to have spiritual conversations with because you were afraid they were going to shove the Bible down your throat. Well, don't let them shove the Bible down your throat. Pick one up for yourself and begin to read the Word of God and see how the seed is planted in your heart. I believe Jesus will speak to you through that good news. But faith is only as good as its object. We need to be careful who and what we believe in. You see, if we put our faith in idols, they will let us down every single time. But I'm here to tell you boldly and proudly, God will never let you down. You can put your faith in Him. Dynamic saving faith is based on the Word of God, and it involves all of us, not part of us. Dynamic faith involves the intellect, it involves the emotion, 
and it involves physical action. There must be works. Physical actions require our will to bend and become obedient to God's will. Think about that. You can believe in your head, you can feel it in your heart, but unless you start walking it out with your feet, feet and hands and putting it into action, listen, your will has to be bent when you decide, I'm going to go do something. I have to, I have, my will has to come into obedience in order to do those things. There are different kinds of works in the Bible. Works of the law, this is when sinners try to please God by following the law of Moses, but it's impossible to be saved that way. It's impossible to follow every law of Moses, all right? And let me just tell you this, church, it, not all the laws of Moses, some of them were ceremonial law. They're not all moral law. And so some of the ceremonial law was really intended for the establishment of the nation of Israel. But we no longer follow some of the ceremonial law, such as things about haircuts and some things about diets or the way we treat certain situations. Some of that is just not followed because we're no longer establishing the nation of Israel. But there are other works, works of the flesh or wicked works. These are acts done to please the old nature. Then there are dead works. Uh, we've discussed these already. They're only based on intellect and no emotion or action. And then there is saving faith. There, where there is saving faith, there is always good works. See, James uses the illustrations of Abraham and Rahab as examples of good works. These two people, they could not have been any more different, yet they both demonstrated dynamic faith. Abraham was a Jew. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a godly man. Rahab was a sinful woman, a prostitute. Abraham was a friend of God. Rahab belonged to the enemies of God. See how different the two were? But the Scripture gives them both as an example of people who had saving faith. When God showed Abraham the stars and he promised him that he would have that many children, Abraham believed God. God justified him. He credited it to him as righteousness. This was a free gift. Abraham did nothing to deserve it. The evidence was Abraham's obedience and his changed life. He became obedient to what God said. Later, when Abraham would act in obedience to God's instructions and put his own son on an altar of sacrifice, he demonstrated his faith. He proved his faith through his obedience. Someone once expressed, Abraham was not saved by faith plus works, but by a faith that works. Wow. D.L. Moody often said this, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. In other words, every Christian ought to know that faith in God's Word always leads to action. It is on the go. Paul gives us all the warning in Titus 1.16. Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. And then later in Titus chapter 3, verse 8, he says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all those who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Rahab was a second example. Living in the city of Jericho when those Israelite spies came, God was about to have his people invade the city and conquer it. And Rahab believed the things God had been doing for the Israelites and what he was going to do to Jericho. So she protected the spies as proof of her faith that God was going to do what he said, and this saved her life as well as her family. Listen, Rahab is an example of living 
and saving faith. Willing to risk her life in saving the spies, willing to risk her life in sharing the good news with her family, she becomes one of the Bible's very first evangelists and soul winners in the Bible. And here's the thing, we have so much more than Rahab did to base our faith on. We have the full revelation of God's Word. We, we are on the other side of Calvary. We already know the good news of Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit to convict, to guide, and to empower us. Listen, folks, Rahab's faith is an indictment against the unbelief of sinners today and a shame on all of us who waver in our faith. Man, it's been good teaching tonight, uh, you, and I pray that you have received these words and my challenge to you in this closing is just examine yourself. As the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. In other words, you'll know if Jesus is living in you because of the actions and your changed life. <laughs>